Okay, we finished up a series in Proverbs about wisdom. Levi and I worked through that, and there came in over the last couple of weeks two questions to me, and they weren't simple, straightforward questions. This is okay, uh, but they were kind of exactly the same topic. And so what I decided to do is I'm going to run a short series that will answer along the way the questions that came in. And uh, because of those two questions that came in, I've chosen a basic uh, topic of salvation. Salvation. I want to talk about uh, what it means. Uh, There's many opinions out there that a lot of people have and we want to talk about what we think it is. It is a basic premise of Christian faith. Uh, There's a lot of words that come right from the Bible, of course. uh, Being saved or something. Being born again is another term that's used. uh, Being a child of God sometimes used is called in some places an adoption you have an adoption into a family um, regeneration is a term that comes up and all these things kind of mean the same thing <coughs> little different uh, ways of looking at things and so because of the many of Opinions out there, uh, there's sort of a source of confusion. And so I want to talk about the idea of salvation, what it means, and what's required of us, and set these basic terms up uh, because it is confusing. It is confusing. And uh, it starts before time, before the world began. Before there was humans, before God created the heavens and the earth, he made a decision in his mind, we're going to create a race of people, and uh, we're going to put them on this new earth, and we're going to hope that they love us, but we know they're going to fail. We know they're going to fail, and so... Uh, what will we do? Well, the Bible talks about that original meeting between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and says, here's what happened in that meeting. It says, uh, it says, in the mind of God, Jesus was slain, died on a cross, before the foundation of the world. And so in the discussions in the Godhead, uh, somebody said, we create a race and that we want them to love us, we have to give them freedom to do that. And he said, if we give them freedom, they'll rebel against us. Now what do we do? And he said, well, Jesus said, I'll go down. And the second part in, in the, that story is the, the, uh, <coughs> the uh, prophecy talks about that meeting. And, and Jesus is saying, prepare me a body. I'll go down and die. I'll go down and die for the race. And so before Adam was ever created, Jesus is already slain. He's agreed to die for this race that we're going to create. 
And so salvation, you understand, was Jesus' idea. He's the one that thought of it. As they were talking amongst themselves, as they did and still do, the whole idea begins before time begins. And so I think that because of that, Jesus is the best explainer of that idea. And that's in John chapter 3. We'll be looking at John chapter 3 for the information that we use. And so I think that one of the problems that we run into is a narrow definition. There are narrow definitions that people have given to salvation. And they set up like little limits. As the Bible says, we're always trying to put God in a box. Get in that box. I want you in my box. And that's not how God responds. Here's a line. I drew a line, God. Now you follow it. He's not going to follow it. That's not God. Right? And so he has his way, and we like to sometimes narrow it down so it's more like us. And some of the things that come along are uh, pretty common. Uh, used to be, I used to see a lot of, here's a sinner's prayer. There's a little prayer, they'd have it written down on a card. I want you to say this prayer, and you'll be saved. You'll have salvation. And I remember I worked with a young man. He came in one Monday morning. He said, I'm all set. I said, what do you mean you're all set? I prayed his prayer. Uh, I went to church for the first time, prayed his prayer. And I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm, I'm, I can do I'm all taken care of. I'm not worried about anything. I got it all set. At the end of the week, we had him arrested for stealing from the company. All right. And... Maybe he didn't have it all. <laughs> Maybe whoever told him just say these words and you're all set didn't quite have it all together. All right. And sometimes that's the way it went. <clears throat> there are some people who say you have to have a date when you receive Christ. You have to have it an exact date and an experience of that. And uh, you know because you've got a date. Well, I don't find that to be a common experience that people can say on this date it happened. I, sometimes you can. It's true that sometimes you can, but sometimes it, it's not. And so when you're saying, well, do you have a date? I'll decide whether you're saved if you can tell me the day it happened. Well, it doesn't always work like that. And <clears throat> where I grew up, one of the most popular things was at the end of the service, everybody close your eyes, bow your head and close your eyes. Raise your hand if you've been born again during the service. And, of course, I didn't look around. I didn't dare. My mother would kill me. All right? <laughs> but the guy up front would say, okay, that's four of you. Thank you. And they'd go home right in a book. Four people were born again today because they raised their hand at the end of the service. So... Uh, it's a narrowing the definition of what it's like, and I think that's a problem that sometimes helps confuse us. Somebody said, well, what's your date? Well, I don't know my date. Ask me what my date is. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I think I'm pretty sure I'm born again, but I can't tell you the date, okay? Uh, and I never raised my hand and said, today is me. That wasn't. 
me. So I don't know. Uh, we're, let's look at what Jesus said. And he's the one who, after all, made this to be. He's the one who created the idea of salvation. John chapter 3, begin reading at the first verse. We're looking for three special words. All right. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles as thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's that phrase, born again. Where did it come from? came right from Jesus. He's trying to describe to one of the Jewish leaders, Nicodemus, what it means. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? He said, I don't get what you're talking about. He said, I'm too big to go back inside a mom. All right, I can't do that, born again stuff. And he answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, cannot tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So three words that we're looking for is water, is the first one mentioned. Uh, the spirit is the second one, and the third one is the wind. And as Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus what he's talking about, he uses these three terms. He said, You've got to be born of water, you've got to be born of the spirit, and it's like the wind. All right, and so uh, that's what he's talking about. And we're going to just cover these shortly. And then I want to give some examples as we think about how this is. Uh, to be born of water. When people have heard that, they say, well, he's talking about baptism. You've got to be baptized. Not at all. Not at all. And that's one of the errors that's come down through the ages from way back when there's been people who say, you're not baptized, you can't be saved. And that's not the case at all. What he's saying to Nicodemus, all right, and if you were Nicodemus, you'd understand it, but you're not. You live in America, all right? And you do what Americans do, and, and uh, we think like Americans think. If you were Jewish, like Nicodemus, who was particularly Jewish, he's a leader in the Jewish uh, government. He lives in Jerusalem under these old laws that they've lived with. And if you say water to you and me, you say, let's go swimming, all right? Go over to Olson's Pond and get baptized. Uh, no, no, no. If you were Nicodemus and Jesus says water, you got to be born of water. The first thing he thinks is washing. Washing. Because the Jews washed all the time. They were always washing. The idea was you had to wash off sin. Sin was like dirt, if you will. And you should wash it off with water. When the Jew sat down like Nicodemus to eat supper, he had bowls of water all around him. And so he'd eat for a couple minutes. Stop, wait a minute, got to wash my hands. 
So he'd go wash his hand down to the elbow and wash his hand down to the elbow. He's not done, he's only half done. Turn your arm upside down and now wash it back down and wash the other arm back down. So there's any dirt possible that falls off the end. You don't want to get dirt stuck here. So you wash yourself first this way and then this way. And you do that eight or nine times during a meal. All right? That's way more than you or I wash, right? And so water was a constant idea of washing off dirt. You go to the temple, there's something called a laver, which is a great big brass huge bowl. I'm not talking about this big or this big. I'm talking about big as half of these pews. Great big bowl of water. And the priests who are making sacrifices go to the bowl, wash up, go over, and here's the sacrifice. Wait a minute. Go back, wash again. Constant, constant, constant washing. Constantly. And so in a Jewish mind, like Nicodemus, Jesus said, you got to be born of water. Well, water I use every day constantly. I'm always washing, washing, washing. You go to the temple, and they're always washing, washing, washing. All right? And so in Nicodemus's mind, Jesus said, you got to be born of water. we got to get the dirt off. All right? And so I think when Jesus is talking about that, <clears throat> what he's saying is <clears throat> you have to, to be forgiven. And to do that, you have to ask. So somewhere along the process whereby we receive salvation, you have to have said, okay, God, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive my sin? And if somebody never says that, then... I don't think that's going to work. Right? And what about the spirit? What does it mean about the spirit? Well, the spirit is down inside of us. What's inside of us? Our inner self. And our inner self has got to talk to God. I remember talking to a young lady once who had a problem. And I said, well, you need to talk to God. Oh, I haven't done that in years. Well, you've got to do it. There has to be a conversation between you and God. Why? Because you have to believe he's real. And so there's got to be a conversation. So Jesus says, it's going to take water. We've got to wash. We've got to get rid of sin. Get rid of it. And it's going to take the spirit inside of you in a private place where only you go. The old authors called it the penetralium. Inside of you is something so deep, nobody can get into it. Only by penetrating can you get in that deep. And in that deepness, that deep, quiet place, you have to talk to God. I've told many people, and I go to see them when they're dying, I can't do it for you. you got to talk to God. And there's two things that Jesus says, water, remember, got to get cleansed from sin. The spirit needs your inner cooperation. All right, but then he says, and one more thing, he says, it's like the wind. And I'm so glad he said that. Uh, the wind is a strange and wonderful thing. The other night must have been a wind. And 
you know, if I'm sleeping, I, you know, I hear the wind, and we're in the house. Now we're surrounded. You can't hear things. But at the front house, there must have been a wind. Because when I got up and went up, there's a big limb like that laying on the ground. Well, it didn't just fall off. Something pushed it off. A pretty good wind must have pushed it off. So well, I can see a big wind. It's outside. The wind blew the tree over. And then I walked in the house. And in the bedroom, uh, there's a, one of those lamps, big tall ones, you know, with three lights on them. And we had the window open in there. It is laying on the floor, smashed in a million pieces. I said, we've had that window open for years. <laughs> and that light's been standing there for 20 years. And now it's in a million pieces. How did that happen? The wind. I don't know how the wind came through the window and pushed the light over. Because the wind doesn't tell you how it's going to operate. It just does whatever it does. It has in its nature things that you can't describe or can't explain. And that's the nature of it, he says. It's like the wind. You won't see it. You may not know that it's coming. You can't describe what it's going to do. There's a lot about wind. You sure it's real, but you don't know how to describe it and to control it. You can't say anything about it. So Jesus says salvation is like wind. You can't define it and say this is what the wind will do. Go out and try it. Well, I have. I've stood in the driveway and said, stop, when it was snowing like crazy. I thought of Jesus <laughs> who said, peace, be still, and the wind stopped. So I tried it one day, but it didn't, didn't do a thing. <laughs> Faced into the snow and driving in my eyes, said, be still, it didn't work. You can't control the wind. And so Jesus is trying to say, here's that salvation has an undefinable nature. You can't say, here's how it's going to happen. Read this little paper and you're all set. That's not how it's going to work. And so <clears throat> there are uh, cases and cases in the Bible where we see a different method, a different way that this spirit blows. And we think of the Ethiopian or the uh, Philippian jailer. Remember, Paul's in prison and Silas, and they're singing in the dark. They're in stocks, and their legs are in stocks, and they're locked in a prison cell. And, uh, and uh, they're singing away. It's a great day. They're singing. And then an uh, uh, earthquake comes, and all the Bars fly off, the chains fly off, and everybody's free. And the Philippian jailer comes running in. He says, what must I do to be saved? I want to know now. <laughs> he doesn't say, tell me tomorrow when you think of it. He says, I want to know now. This jail is smashed to smithereens. I want to know what I got to do to be saved. That was immediate response. And so with the Philippian jailer, there's an immediate response. Was it from Saul's sing, Paul's singing? No, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what it was that got him started. But he said, I, I want this today now. And he got it that way. <clears throat> Remember, there's an Ethiopian who's traveling from Jerusalem back to Africa. He's been to Jerusalem with the idea of... Uh, 
going up there to worship in the Jewish way. He chose the Old Testament ways, and as he's riding home on his chariot, he's reading the Bible. Philip shows up, says, you get what you're reading? He said, I don't know who this is, chapter 53 of Isaiah. And he explains, well, that's Jesus. He says, you get it? Yeah, he says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You're all set. Just like that, all right? How long did it take? Did he believe it before he came? I don't know. I can't say it was immediate, but he was there. Philip was there. Let me ask you a question. When was Peter saved? People who like a date, when was Peter saved? I got no idea. Was he saved before he met Jesus? Well, I don't think so. Peter is in the boat, and they haul in a load of fish because Jesus is there with them. What does he tell Jesus? Depart from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Is he saved then? I don't know. Eventually, Jesus will ask, okay, Peter, who do you think I am? He said, you're the living God, son of the living God. Is he saved then? Yeah. Was it gradual? Did he slowly understand as he watched Jesus come along? I think so. I think at some point he decided, okay, this. What about Paul on the road to Damascus? Talk about sudden. Bang! He's going, breathing out slaughter. I'm going to kill a bunch of Christians. And God comes to him with a flashing light. He's laying in the dust, blind. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And his next comment, what do you want me to do? He was born again in one fraction of a second. All right? His mind had been working on it for a while. So God did it. Thief on the cross. When was he born again? Just before he died. He says, Jesus, you know what? Uh, remember me when you come to the kingdom. That's all he said. By the way, he wasn't baptized. He didn't have time. Okay? He didn't have time. He wasn't baptized. Thief on a cross. He just said, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He says, you'll be there with me. Don't worry about it. See, the wind is very powerful, but it's mysterious. And... Uh, some people that I've known, personal experience, uh, I knew a guy who was a good friend of mine. I said, when did you come to believe in God? I was driving down 390. <laughs> what do you mean, you're driving down? No, I was driving down 390 on the way home. I decided, okay, God, I believe in you. Just like that. Who thought of that? What I do, that's a mysterious way to come to the information. Okay. I had another friend of mine. Came to work, he had cancer. He wouldn't come in the building. He was out in the driveway. Somebody said to me, you got to talk to him. So I went out, and I talked to him, talked about living, talked about dying, talked about Jesus. A couple days later, he was driving down the road in his truck, and he came in the next day. He said, something happened. I said, what? He said, I can't explain it. What is it? He said, I think it was God. What was it? He said, all I know is from the tip of my head, 
through the bottom of my feet, something went through me. It was like electricity. He said, I think it was God. Do you? I said, yeah, I do. I think it was God. And that's what it took for him. Uh, I remember kids in Sunday school, my wife telling me, who's been many years with kids in Sunday school, said, I had this little kid. He came in and he wanted, and he prayed that Jesus would come into his heart. Came in the next week, said, I want to do that again. And she said, okay. And week after week, he did it again. He did it again. It's okay. It's the wind blowing where it will. It's God doing what he wants to do. All right? And God has a way to do things. I had a friend that I met. The first time I met him, we had a three-hour discussion. And I want to tell you, it was intense. All right? For three hours. And so we finished. <clears throat> he said, okay, uh, when do we meet again? I said, well, what do you want? Next week? Yeah, okay. Three more hours next week. Constant flow of questions. <clears throat> he said, well, you're going to abandon me now? I said, what do you want? Tell me what you want. I want a Bible study. So I went to his house, and I went there on Tuesday nights, and I started having a Bible study. I got there at 7 o'clock. I started at 7 o'clock. I taught for two hours straight. And then he asked questions for the next three hours. I was there till midnight every Tuesday night. Two hours teaching, three hours asking questions. When did he come to know the Lord? I don't know. I got no idea. I can't possibly figure it out. And all, all the questions and all the constant drive, 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 but somewhere along the way it happened. The wind blows where it will. Remember Mrs. Shaw next door, she loved it when we opened the church. And the first time I met her, my father and I were here looking at the building, and she picked her head out the window, what do you want? I said, well, we were thinking about buying a church and opening it up. She said, you do that, I'll jump for joy. And she did. She was thrilled. And then one day, after years of knowing her, she said to me, I got to get myself straightened out. And that was it for her. That's how she came to that point. All right. Remember Wally Cherry. Wally Cherry, we used to go to church here. He's in heaven now. He sent a message through, through somebody else that his son had been in a motorcycle accident. Would you pray for my son? And so, of course, didn't know any of them. But we said a prayer for that son. And we said a prayer for quite a few weeks, and he got better. Then Wally showed up one day, and he stood up here for the first day he was here. He was sitting right in here. And he stood up, and he said, he said, I asked for prayer for my son, and he almost died. But he got better, and he's all better now because you prayed. So I believe just like that. How'd that happen? I don't know. Don't ask me to define it. I can't define it. The wind blows and does what it wants. I remember a fellow named Harry Young, and he was dying of cancer, and so I went to the hospital. I walked in his room, and I said, I'm here for one reason. If you want to be saved, you want to know about Jesus, he said, I'm here to tell you what I can and I know you're dying of cancer. He said, I've been waiting for you to come. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been waiting for somebody to come and tell me, and apparently you're the one, so tell me what to do. And he prayed right there to be saved, and he wanted to go to heaven. And about three, four minutes later, this guy walked in the room and laying there all racked with cancer, he said to that guy, hey, you know what? I'm going to heaven, just like that. All right, so uh, different ways. Everybody's different. Driving down 390, you say, we'll do it for you, okay? Maybe in the hospital with cancer might. There's lots of different ways that God works with people. By water, we've got to be forgiven at some point and ask for it. By spirit, there's an inward conversation with God, which brings us to being born again. We have a new life that the drive and the motivation for that life comes from God. All right, comes from God. Now, I'm going to add a couple things to this just for this class. You've got a couple more minutes? Okay, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll probably come back to this particular topic because it is one of the ones that gets discussed a lot. But I just want to touch on it today. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man can boast. So something about salvation, he said, it's not good works. Not what it is. It's not good works. All right. So you can't do enough good things to say, okay, God, you've got to let me in because I did a lot of good things. Okay. No, that's not how it works. It's you talking to God, and it's not the things you do. We want to do good things. We want to fill our life with good things. But we can't go to heaven and say, look at all the good things I did. And he said, that's not enough. That will never work. You can't do enough good things. That's one thing. And here's another thing that I think is overlooked and is good to put in here right now as we're wrapping up. Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. You know, talk about, are you saved? Have you experienced salvation? Are you born again? Have you been adopted into God's family? Are you experienced, have you experienced regeneration? All right, these are things that Jesus says is the way it's going to work. And then here, verse 9, Romans 10, verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Where the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. All right, that's what Jesus said. It's a spirit inside. It's a heart, a private inner part of you. And with a mouth, confession is made to salvation. I like to think that that's a very important thing, your mouth. <laughs> a lot of people think their mouth is important. They love hearing what comes out of it. It says, if you believe in Jesus, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody. You can't keep it a secret your whole life. Never tell anybody. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I just never told anybody. He said, no, it's got to be brought out. Why? 
Because if you really believe, can you keep it in? <laughs> can you keep it in? You have to confess it. Have to say something. You don't have to preach a sermon. I always tell people when they're baptized, you don't have to preach a sermon. Just got to say a few words. Got to show that what is real inside of you, you can say it is real. I believe it. So say it with your mouth. There are no secret Christians. Got to say it with your mouth. So that's the beginning of a series, and we'll go on with a few more things as we touch on various aspects of it but uh, what Jesus said very clear to the point he said it's the water we got to be washed from sin that's what's the issue is why Jesus had to die and he says the spirit an inner connection with you and God and he says don't think you're so smart you can define it because it's like the wind for everybody it's different some people it's immediate some people it's gradual as the Bible explains it this way the darkness shall turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright and for some people as they learn their eyes begin to open a little more they begin to grasp it more and more and eventually there comes a point where they believe it and then they've made a conversation with God about it. I got to stop. I could go on for hours, but I got to stop right now. Time is up. Thank you.